0: Welcome to The How of Car Washing, the podcast that helps the car wash owner,
1: operator, and manager address the challenges and opportunities associated with building and running automated car washes in today's fast paced environment. And now, here are your hosts, David Begin and Henry Lopez.
2: Hi, and welcome to this episode of The How of Car Washing. I'm your host, David Begin, and I've got a special guest today. It's going to be a little different podcast than we're used to. We used to kind of focus on the how to of car washing. Well, we're going to take it up a level and talk about the issues of being successful. We're going to talk about how we kind of, you know, should we separate our personal and professional lives? uh, are, Are the development different? And once we hit that level of success, you know, what do we do to kind of handle that? And so I've got a great guest today, Joan Sotkin. She is the CEO of Prosperity Place in Santa Fe, New Mexico. She's a personal coach. She's authored a ton of different books, which we'll put on our show notes for you as well. She also owns businesses, and she's also a podcaster. So she's been uh, involved in this whole process probably for the last 30 or 40 years, and we're excited to have her. Thanks so much for joining me today, Joan. Thank you.
1: It's my pleasure.
2: Yeah, yeah. So tell me about your journey in getting into business. So how did you kind of get into business? And uh, then kind of explain what you do with Prosperity Place and the reason why you've got this business.
1: Okay, well... Long time ago in the 70s, I was pretty sick uh, physically, emotionally, (laughs) financially, and there was no way I could get a job. So, and this was before the way before the internet. Right. And uh, I got into crystals. I met this weird guy and I got really attracted to quartz crystals and minerals and I had started meditating in 1972. So I was into kind of alternative stuff. And that when I, after getting my first crystal, <laughs> it turned into a very large business. Uh, I really was, because I was sick, I studied mail order. Cause uh-huh. I figured I'd never get out of the house. And I wound up putting together a catalog, one little thing at a time. I borrowed my sister-in-law's typewriter. (laughs) It was really a journey. And within a couple of years, the business was grossing $50,000 a month. Oh, man. I had a line of stones in uh, called Jones Stones in six hundred stores. I really started the whole crystal craze in the eighties. I was, you know, the New Age lady, <laughs> and I've since straightened out a bit. <laughs> 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 and um, the problem was I had no idea how to manage cash flow. I had a bookkeeper. I kept records. But if I had $10,000 in the bank, I thought I had $10,000, yeah. which I soon learned was not true. And I wound up going bankrupt. Oh, and, wow. and earlier, in the early 70s, I had given everything I owned away and went wandering for a couple of years. I mean, it's been an odd story because I had a doctor tell me one time that I would never be healthy, that I was just a hypochondriac. And I said, that's not my story so i've been looking for answers and you know and here i am you know 50 years later and i'm really healthy you know, and still working and everything else so that was the first business and it's always been and my father was an entrepreneur both of my grandparents grandfathers were entrepreneurs so i i never thought in terms of getting a job and having been having physical limitations i just knew i had to build a business and I, after I had gone on this journey and I had been wandering around for a while, um, I said to my mother, "You know if I get a computer uh, the, uh, then i can I can figure out what to do because I had done some desktop publishing and uh, so she actually got me a, a bank loan <laughs> and I, a, after I got the computer, I saw this little icon for AOL, and I clicked it and after I got online, you know, with the old uh, modems, you know, with sure. the funny noises. Yeah. And I knew right away that the internet was the future. This was in 1995.
2: Right, yeah. There were,
1: there were only 500,000 websites at the time. And I, so my mother took out this loan for me, and I sat in front of the computers 10 hours a day until I figured out how to build a website and turn a business something into a business online. Oh, man. And my first business was called Resources for Living. And it turned out that I was stepping on someone's trademark. So I had to find another name. So I figured, okay, what do people want? They want better sex, more money, better gas mileage. (laughs) I thought the only thing that I can qualify for since I had written a book called prosperity is an inside job. I said, okay, let's go for prosperity. And this was in 1996. And I got the domain name prosperityplace.com. And I've been doing that ever since.
2: That's fantastic. So you kind of specialized in coaching and being an author, but give me an idea when you start working with business owners, you know, you've know, you kind of got a niche of coaching. What, what are some of the issues that they're dealing with that you're able to help them with?
1: Well, you know, my focus for many years has been finances. Uh, my book, my most recent book was actually two books a w- ago was uh, Build, Your, Build Your Money Muscles. And what I saw early on was the connection between money and emotions. And for some reason, I I work really well with men. <laughs> you know, it's like That's, I come from yeah. a male-dominated family and one of the rules in our family was sotkins don't feel. Okay. So, not like I was brought up in a feeling environment. And once I discovered that it was okay to feel when I was going to 12-step programs and you were allowed to talk about what you were feeling, uh, I, I just decided to learn everything I could about emotions and to see the connection because there's no one who's excite, who who gets into money stuff without having emotions and what i've really gotten into in the last couple of years is the brain science of it all in other words how we make our decisions and how thoughts beliefs and emotions play a role in our decision making right. you know and even though you don't have words for emotions. If someone says to you, how are you feeling? And you have no idea other than to say fine or not fine, um, without the nuances, (laughs) then it, it, once you understand that there's a connection, it's possible to understand what's going on without having an emotional vocabulary. So when I work with people, it's helping them understand why they do what they do with their money. Because everything you do with money is a decision. So once you understand your decisions, then then you can make better decisions. And what I've come to understand is that everything about you is a habit. That most of which you learn very early in life. So for example, if you came from a family where there was a lot of discord, where everybody was fighting all the time and they were angry all the time. Well, one of your main emotions is gonna be anger, male or female. Right. Uh, if you were abused in any way, you're gonna be pissed off a lot. And and you're gonna feel you know, that less than feeling comes when you're a kid and you don't feel like you fit in. And, You know, and that all starts very early in life. So when you get to be an adult, those feelings are acted out through your finances. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah. No, I I certainly see that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: So when someone says to me, I have trouble making money or I have a lot of money and I don't know what to do, whatever that is, it's never about money. It's about the habits, particularly the feeling habits that you bring to your money that are being acted out through money. So when you can figure out what you're expressing through your money, then you can change the habit because it's not set in stone. It's just a habit. And once you understand that there's nothing wrong with you that needs fixing, you just have habits that you may want to change. It's a whole different approach. Can you see that?
2: Yeah, no, I I agree with that. So like like you know I I will express you know like I'll express my feelings sometimes through buying a expensive car.
1: Exactly, right. and you so, feel better about yourself for about two weeks, and then oh now what am I going to do next?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's a, it's a it's a, it's a great example. I actually did this about a year and a half ago. I bought a really nice electric Tesla. Yeah, and I love it. I love driving it. So I, it's not like I'm. I regret it, but it was an awful lot of money. And and when I thought, when I'm buying this particular vehicle, why why am I buying it? What you know, what, what was the reason behind buying it? And I might not have been in a great place at the time I did it. I'm I'm glad I have it, but but I thought you know I'm buying it because I want to I want to prove a point.
1: Right, and when we're seeking something and we get it, we get a dopamine response. It's totally dopamine, it's a brain reaction. And we like those dopamine responses. And so some people just keep going after that and they wear off. So it's a matter of understanding, you were very, very wise in saying, why did I need that? Yeah. But when we're looking at our own emotions, especially if you don't have a great uh, emotional vocabulary, it's hard to get to our own core issues because they've been with us for so long and it's part of our identity. Right. So for example, I come from, a, uh, my father was a serious compulsive debtor. He was always spending beyond his means. When I was brought up, they, we didn't have credit cards, but he always managed to, get, to be in debt and went bankrupt. So I never learned how to save money. Now, other people like I was speaking to a client who the other day whose father was very careful with money, you know, and and didn't like to spend it. And he's the same way. So we learn our behaviors from our family family. Sometimes it's to go against what our family did. You know, my father, so I'm gonna do something else, which one of my brothers was very much that and, and became very wealthy. Uh, so it's understanding that nothing's happening to you. It's happening through you. When you can figure out what's going on, you have the choice of how you want to feel and what you want to do.
2: Yeah. Let me, let, me, let me give you a few examples that I'm seeing in the car wash industry right now. And These are some examples that I struggle with individually, but... Now, you know, the the industry is changing. It's going from primarily a mom and pop industry to we're starting to see a lot of corporate investment of money into the business now. And so 20 years ago, if you had one car wash, you were doing great. Now, you know, the big issue is, you know, the big question you're asked is how many units do you own? And if you only own two or three, oh, I own five, I own 10, I own 50. It's this big contest now. And there's that feeling like it's never enough, right? So I've got some friends that are very satisfied with one or two units. And I've got people that own 15 units that are very dissatisfied because of that whole issue of, I don't know if it's a scarcity issue, but it's an issue of, it's never enough, right? I I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm doing well with the ones I've got. I don't have many units, I've got a few, but I'm always feeling like I gotta do more, I gotta do more, I gotta do more. It's never good enough, it's never enough. So what say you to that type of
1: Okay, so let's take mindset? a look at that. Okay. So it's not about the business, it's about you. So right. that tells me when someone feel, feels like they have to go after the next shiny object, when they need one more, it's like I talk about over earning, which is when you're in very good shape and you say if I have one more million I could be happy. <laughs> you right. Know? Get right. the one more million and you're still not happy. So the not enough is a sense of self. In other words, I need more to feel complete. And I need more to feel satisfied. Most people that I talk to have what I call a dissatisfaction habit. It's just a habit. So using brain science, if you have a dissatisfaction habit, you can say, what would I rather be feeling? And the answer of course, is to feel satisfied. And then the question is, do you know how to feel it? When in your life did you feel satisfied? And you actually have to teach your brain to have a satisfaction response instead of a dissatisfaction response. And so, but it but it's important to understand that that sense of dissatisfaction, that not enough feeling, has nothing to do with where you are today. It comes from childhood. Does that make sense?
2: No, it does make sense. Yeah, because, because you know, I'm rarely find myself satisfied. And it, you know, even in management, in managing a business, I, you know, you 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 want to create a really high standard and you always come across as being dissatisfied with everything, you know, and I've had employees over the years tell me you're never happy with anything. And I go, well, you're probably right. You know, for, for various reasons, not, not only do I want to run a good business, but you know, there probably is that level of dissatisfaction because things aren't always.
1: But that, that's, a, it's a habit. It's a habit.
2: Right. When right.
1: you were a kid, you didn't get what you wanted. You might have, you know, when kids are the ones that don't get picked for the team, they, you know, they or they, they they're not, ha- they, their parents weren't happy with their schoolwork, whatever it is. There's a story from childhood and early childhood. And, and if you come from a family where your parents were dissatisfied, that's what you learned. Right. You have, you have to learn your feelings, and, and it, it often comes from your family. So when you say, Why am I not satisfied? What I say is, okay, first of all, do you know how to feel satisfied? When have you felt satisfied?
2: That's a great question. Yeah. I, you know, <laughs> there, 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 there are times where I have, right? I've felt satisfied about where I'm at. but And i felt content where I'm at. But, you know, the, the question I would ask you is, what's the difference between feeling content and satisfied where you're at versus, you know, a lot of us kind of that really enjoy you know reading books and self improvement getting better at things you know there's there's a natural tendency to feel dissatisfied with where you're at when you're trying to strive to get better
1: okay you can strive to get better without being dissatisfied okay i mean i've been on that personal growth path for forever sure and i've learned that wherever i am now is fine that i'm fine wherever i am and I'm just learning something new, which is very different from saying, if only I knew how to do blah, 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 I'd be better. Because remember, our system is based on, there's something wrong with you that needs fixing. Right. And I, our medical system is, is based on that. Our psychology is all based on that. If you go to therapy, it's to fix what's wrong with you which is a ridiculous way of looking at things. <laughs> it's like, there's nothing wrong with you. You just have habits that aren't working for you. And using simple brain science, you can figure out how to how to make that change. Of course, you come up against your own resistance and your fear of change. And it's like when something changes, our brain is wired to tell us to be afraid. Because it can't, the amygdala, which is something that's designed to keep us safe, tells us if anything's uncertain, it's dangerous. Right. But there are no more saber-toothed tigers. And that's what we're looking for. you know. And so it's a matter of training yourself to have a, a different set of responses. It's not something that can happen quickly. But if you're determined, I know my my goal many years ago was to not let my bank account determine how I feel. Now that's a tough one, because mm-hmm. it's, hard, it's hard to look at your bank account and not say, oh, Joe Schmo is, learning, is earning so much more than I do. Or, uh, the shame comes into money stuff really easily. And once you understand that it's never about money, and there's nothing wrong with you, then you can decide to have a different response. I actually have a course I put together called Rewire Your Brain for Prosperity and Financial Freedom. And it's all about the main emotions that are acted out through money and how to mollify those emotions so that you're feeling what you wanna feel. And so like with the satisfaction piece, I said, do you know how to feel satisfied? And a lot of people tell me, no, I really generally don't feel satisfied. Right. So I'll say, did you feel satisfied when, you, when your child was born, when you got married? So there are moments in our life when we feel satisfied.
2: Would you agree with that? I would agree.
1: Okay. So you know the feeling of satisfaction. You just haven't turned it into a habit. So for example, when you recognize, the first step in changing an emotional response is to recognize when you're feeling it. So you may you have, you have evidently used the word dissatisfied to yourself, right? Correct. Okay, so the idea is to recognize when you're saying that, to take a deep breath, because that changes your nervous system, and say, what would I rather be feeling in that moment? And you remember that time when you felt satisfied because emotions don't just happen in your head, they happen all through your body because these neuropeptides attach themselves to the receptors in your cell, which is why you feel something in your gut or in your chest. Those are the feelings. So you take a breath and you say, what would I rather be feeling? And you imagine the feeling of satisfaction and your whole system is going to get right with it and feel satisfied. And you're showing your brain what you'd rather feel. And you do this over and over again and it works. So for example, here's an example. I used to worry a lot about money. And, and, I knew that worrying is a waste of time. It doesn't solve anything. Right. So I would say, okay, instead of worrying, I would because worrying is about the future, where you're making up a story that does it, that isn't true. It just you're making up a story, and so you can make up a different story. So when I would worry about money, I would stop and say a large sum of money from an unexpected source. And then I'd start thinking about where it could come from and what it would feel like. And I was just shifting my point of view. And you can do that with anything where you, you know, it's like most people have negative self-talk. They pick on themselves about the oddest things. (laughs) And if you decide that you want to stop talking to yourself that way, When you notice that you're talking to yourself that way, you can't stop doing it. You have to do something else. Right. So it's like when I when I first started making the shift, I would say to myself, Thank you for sharing, but we don't talk that way anymore. So that was that was ending it. And and then I'd have something that I would say to myself, my favorite was, Joni's a good girl and can have whatever she wants. And since I love applause. I would say it out loud and I would clap while I was saying it. (laughs) So so my brain got the message that I was fine. And I just did that over and over again. That's good. good. If you tell yourself 20 times a day that you're doing a good job, you're eventually going to believe it.
2: You know, a, a, a lot of people nowadays talk about this concept of FOMO, fear of missing out. Right. And so... Being satisfied, being kind of in that place of contentment and satisfaction, you know, this this is—I don't know if this is kind of a new term that's come out. You know, this fear of missing out on something that's coming out—that's what drives a lot of people, probably in ways that are not healthy. But uh,
1: and advertising counts on your fear of missing out.
2: Yeah, you know, yeah. it's
1: really it's really interesting to me. If you watch, I I watch a couple hours of television a day, you know, and I it's in the background. And if you watch television and you watch the commercials, everybody with an autoimmune disease is attractive, is young, is well-dressed and having a good time. And that just isn't real. So the, the, the advertisement is telling you if you have an autoimmune disease and you take this drug, you're going to be happy and beautiful and well-dressed. I mean, it's ridiculous. And, yeah. and, and it stimulates that I want it thing in our brain. And and we think about taking these drugs. I mean, any drug has a side, and then they play the side effects with this lovely music behind it. Or there's, there's one diabetes drug, I think it's 2JO, where they have this lovely jingle that pays pays behind the the side effects. It's ridiculous. So you have to recognize your fear of missing out. Because anytime you hear act today, don't delay. That's what I learned in direct response marketing. You know, call today, don't delay. (laughs) Right. Operators are standing by. (laughs) Right. And and limited time only. Yeah and you know and then if if you're on a mailing list where they're making offers it will say only two more days only two more days and then a month later you get the same offer
2: <laughs> yeah yeah
1: <laughs> two more days only two more days so this requires that you recognize your fear of missing out and it, it, i as a as a spender in my in my old days uh, and a debtor I really know that fear of missing out. And it takes a lot of self-control to not buy into it, but the ads are designed to appeal to your fear of missing
2: out. Sure. Yeah. It
1: affects traders, people who trade stocks. That They act on the fear of missing out.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And that's probably a great point is most marketing is designed around that fear of missing out if you don't do it.
1: Right so the you know now there's a lot of talk these days about emotional intelligence so it's becoming more fashionable to talk about emotions in a business setting <laughs> and so you you have the opportunity of learning about it and the we don't have the same shame around feeling emotions as we used to and to me it's it's the key to our real success, how much money you make is not what the success is about. The success is about how you feel in your life. Are you happy, satisfied? Do you feel connected or do you feel alone? Do you, do you feel, and that feeling of satisfaction? So, you know, in looking at what the car wash people are going through now, which is where a lot of small companies are being brought, bought out by the big guys,
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And they wind up with a lot of money as a result of it. It's like, okay, I've always dreamed about ha- having this much money, but now what? What What do I do? What does it mean that I have this money? How am I supposed to behave? Money, every dollar is a decision. And it's actually easier as an entrepreneur to kind of be just at the edge <laughs> Entrepreneurs are a little nuts to begin with. Right. I, I'm one, so I know, because we're kind of looking for that edge. It, there's something exciting about about the uncertainty rather than just fear. And entrepreneurs by nature are able to deal with the fear better than people who have a job job, where they get a paycheck every... I mean, you're in a state of uncertainty nine times out of ten, because. Your income is never certain. Right. So now you have this pile of money and you have to ask yourself, who am I with this pile of money? What does this mean? You now have to really look at your values. And you may have to learn about managing money on a whole different level because there's so many nuances to managing large amounts of money. Right. And so don't try to do it yourself. and. I think if there's a possibility of you getting a big payoff, sometimes called sudden money, before you get it, go shopping for an advisor. Go, I, I have interviewed on a personal level, a whole bunch of financial advisors, so I can make a decision as, as to who manages what. Because you're going to have to make that decision. There's no way you can figure it out yourself
2: right yeah i think at that level you certainly
0: need help this is henry lopez co-host of the how of car washing podcast with an exciting announcement my co-host david Begin and i have designed a task management system for our car wash business it helps us manage all of the operational tasks at our wash locations like repair work orders scheduled maintenance and all of the checklists that we use to keep the wash running smoothly. We call it the Car Wash Operating System, and it helps us manage our operations so that we can drive maximum performance in our business. We are now offering the Car Wash Operating System to other wash owners. If you're looking for ways to improve your operations by reducing downtime and reducing maintenance costs, and we invite you to learn more about our affordable solution at carwashos.com. The Car Wash Operating System is a task management software solution designed to help you manage your operational tasks so that you can drive maximum performance at your wash business. Again, to find out more about the Car Wash Operating System, please visit carwashos.com. The
2: interesting thing I would think of a lot of business owners that do come into sudden money, and I've read books on this. I've talked to a lot of people. I've had car wash colleagues that have gone through this. When they they sell their business, they've got somebody that's helping them from the financial aspect. There's somebody that's helping them from the legal aspect. But the one thing where there's not much help on is, how do you deal with the fact that you're going through a major life transition and it's interesting when people say, oh, what do you do? Well, I own businesses. Oh, interesting. Tell me what you do. Well, I own car washes and frozen yogurt shops and do consulting and, and things like that. And, and that's, that's your identity, right? Mm-hmm. So now, if I ever sell, you know, what am I going to tell people I do? A lot of my self-identity is wrapped up in what I do.
1: Exactly.
2: And so how do you, how do you help people, you know, go through those transitions and, you know, a lot of us have invested most of our lives in the business because it's, it's what we like to do. And running a business requires a big piece of you. Mm-hmm. And so now that's gone. So how do you help people transition into their, you know, kind of redevelop a new self-identity?
1: And this is the part I love. <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. It's like, it's like now that you got the money, who are you? What yeah. do you want to do with your life? And what do you have to learn to do it? And you can still do, but you have a different level of choice. And since learning to be satisfied is part of it, because not only are you used to putting your whole life into your business, you, you may not have felt complete while you were doing that. So, and a lot, a lot of people, they reach their, their 40s or 50s, and and they just have this internal knowing that there's something else i i love the business i love what i'm doing but what else is there and this is the time to explore that and to understand that yes there is an issue in in reframing my identity and that that transition point which feels kind of empty. It's like when you get a divorce, which I've done a couple of times, Uh it's like, okay, I, I remember the both times when I decided to do it, I felt like I was on this island surrounded by a moat and there was no way off. It was the most alone feeling in the world. And that's what, when you sell your car wash, you're actually getting a divorce from your past.
2: You are. Yeah.
1: Okay. That's a big deal. It's a really big deal. And if you say to someone, you know, I just sold my car wash and I got this big pile of money and I really don't know what to do. The only answer you're going to get from people other than someone in the same uh, place is, Oh, I wish I had that problem.
2: Right. Right. But it is a
1: problem. It is a problem. (laughs) It's like, who am I as a person who is free to make more choices? And what do I have to make my choices right away? People who there's a, a book called Sud Money. And she says in there, don't do anything with your money for at least three months. Because, or, you know, take a. I I tell my clients, take you know, $10,000 or whatever you want for the next couple of months, but don't, don't make any big purchases for at least three months. Because what happens is that little kid inside who has wanted all those things <laughs> and, you know, the wants are happening in your brain, you're going to go after the wants. And, and after a couple of months, it's like, okay, I got all these things. Who am I now? Yes. So the big question is who not who am I but who do I want to become. In other words I know who I've been who do I want to become? And you get to choose. And it's hard sometimes to do it by yourself which is why I act as a guide for people who want to figure that out. I ha- I don't tell people what to do with their money. My whole thing is about how to be a wealthy person without having the habits that you don't want to develop. It's hard to be a wealthy person. I mean, this may sound crazy, but there's a level of separation that comes when you have a lot of money. Because most people that you meet, if they know you're wealthy, they want your money. So you have to learn how to say no to people you have to know how to get over that fear of missing out. You have to de- develop a whole new set of values for yourself. And, and instead of saying, how do I want to spend my money? A lot of people, when they tell you they want to make more money, you'll say why, and they'll tell you about all the things they want to buy. But that's not what, what money is for. Money is for helping you have the freedom to become who you want to become.
2: That's a very interesting. I've been, mean, you know, listening really intently to what you're saying there. But yeah, it's. I mean, it does give you a level of freedom, and it gives you the, a level of choices. And you know, I think I think you made a great point that if you do come into sudden money, it's a shock to the system. It's a shock mm-hmm. to your, you know, your emotional system, your financial system, your personal system, and you got to be prepared for that shock. Um, that the things things are going to be different. They'll be different in you know in good ways, but but it's going to be different. And you do have to be diligent about spending time trying to figure those you know figure out what's going to be different. And you've got opportunities to craft what what the future looks like.
1: Yes, and I'm sure you've heard stories about lottery winners who go through it in a very short period of time. Yeah, yeah. same thing happens with sudden money. Because it's money, having more money than you're accustomed to, because a successful car wash owner has been dealing with a lot of money
2: right. and,
1: and hopefully knows how to manage money. But when it's more than you're used to, you don't know who you are as that wealthy person. And all you know is that there's a lot of negative talk about wealthy people. And if you are, for example, socially, if you're part of a particular social group and you're suddenly wealthier than other people in your social group, that causes feelings of separation. Right. And as human beings, that's the worst thing we can experience is the feeling of being an outsider or being separate. Yeah. So how, how can I be, it's like when I first moved to Santa Fe 23 years ago, I came here with $200 and whatever fit in my car. And that was the extent of my estate. And, and my website started taking off and, and I started making more money and people started treating me differently. And I'd get all these things in the mail about, you know, give us your money and and calls from people who wanted donations. And I had to learn a whole new set of responses. How to be with people who hadn't gone up financially as I had, but who I still wanted to be friendly with. So I had to learn ways of getting into their world rather than wanting them to get into mine.
2: Interesting. Yeah.
1: Some practice. In other words, to be able to see each other for who we are, not for what we have. So like the other day when the body shop was driving me home after having my car broken into, I had to have the window changed the guy who drove me home was from an entirely different uh, place in life. You know, he's a, been a mechanic for 20 years. And you know, I mean, it's just a, something I've never been.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But I had to, I immediately knew how to find out about him. Cause I knew he, there's no way he's gonna wanna know who I am, but I, if I can find out from a person who they are, I can feel more connected because the thing that connects us is not how much money we have, but who we are, how we feel, what our opinions are. And to me, the thing that matters the most is that connection. And so when you meet people, instead of being in your money self, if you're just in yourself and you want to find out who they are, it makes for wonderful relationships. One of the things I had to learn when I didn't have money, because somehow I, I knew, I, I've always been surrounded by wealthy people. And so I knew that one of the things I had to do was to learn not to care about their money. Because I learned early on, uh, because my friends, my friends' parents were wealthy, her, well, I had a, a best friend whose grandmother insisted that her chauffeur take us to high school every day in their limousine. Mm-hmm. You know, but I had to walk to her house because I lived in a different neighborhood. You know, it didn't match up. And But all the people in her neighborhood were going to psychiatrists. So I had to learn fairly early that money is not going to make you happy. So when when you have sudden money, when you're suddenly in a different, a different economic bracket, that doesn't change who you are. It just changes your bank balance. And if you can get to the point where your bank balance doesn't determine how you feel, although with, with a bunch of money in your bank account, you're going to have the opportunity to feel a lot better. But if your habit is dissatisfaction. If your habit is feeling depressed, if your habit is feeling like an outsider, you're still gonna feel those
2: with the money.
1: So right. it's a matter of developing new habits.
2: Yeah, money, money, money's not gonna change that. Right, right. So,
1: But it gives you so much room to choose. Do right. I wanna be generous? Do I wanna be frugal? Do I wanna save for the future? Do I wanna be philanthropic, and sometimes there are too many choices. That's why it's good to have someone to talk to who has either been through the process or knows how to lead someone through the process. There's nothing wrong with asking for help.
2: Right. I think that's great. I think that's great. The, The other thing I want to kind of talk about, and this is something that I think all business owners kind of face, is if they've had some level of a success and then they say, okay, I'm gonna stop doing this. I'm gonna sell this business. I'm gonna do something else. They might go into a completely different area. They might do it again. And you know, it's interesting. A lot of car wash owners that I find that sell, you know, go back and build more car washes. You know, they, they right. take their money. That's what right. they, so they you know, know. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, so they yeah. they like continuing doing that. But there's always the feeling like, you know, the success that I have isn't based on My, you know, the work that I put in, or the intelligence, or whatever—it's—it's based on sheer luck, and I'm—I'm kind of hiding out as a fraud, and I'm going to get found out that I'm really not very good at this on the next venture.
1: Okay, and that's the imposter syndrome.
2: Imposter syndrome—that's—that's—that's the term. It's
1: called. Yes. (laughs) Yes, that's what it's called. People, for some reason, are afraid to recognize their own talents. It wasn't luck that built the car wash because there are probably car wash owners who fail. Correct. Who don't make it because they didn't manage the money correctly. They made bad decisions. They had a habit of failure. If you have been successful, there's something different internally about who you are. That's actually one of your greatest assets. And that can be used for anything you want. Now, you may be afraid to make a big change. That's a whole nother story. Because it's like if I try something new, what if it doesn't work? Well, it's very possible that it won't work. And if you cannot see that as a problem, in other words, people tend to think that mistakes are bad. But I believe you have to find out who you're not before you find out who you are. Anyone who's been a serial entrepreneur, as I have, has had so-called successes and so-called failures. But they're not failures. They're just another opportunity to learn. And if you survive them, you're a whole lot stronger. So it's not, you know, the problem is your fear of the future, and if you understand that your expectations, your emotional base, your thoughts, beliefs, emotions are what determine your outcomes because they determine your decisions then you can kind of analyze where you are and what what your decisions are and fear comes from the unknown and you've described the perfect scenario of an unknown situation where I know how to do the car wash. I don't know anything else. I better stick with the car wash because I don't know that I'll be a success with something else. You don't have to be. You just have to try it and see what you're learning from it. You've got enough money in the bank, so you have the option of trying a couple of things. You and to remember that you have a record of success and that can be your habit.
2: Yeah. And there's something in there that, you know, for people that have a track record of success, they might not have identified what they do necessarily. It could be just the habits, right? That Mm -hmm. that you had Mm -hmm. to make you successful. Maybe you haven't identified those things, or maybe you're not really as self-aware in those areas, but it's a good opportunity to kind of become self-aware.
1: Right. And I don't think it's a matter of luck. I think it's a matter of the habits behind your decisions, Right. And, and so it's, there's actually an assessment that I do that measures how people make their, their decisions, how people, the, p- people's critical thinking capacity and their ability to make effective decisions when faced with problems, challenges, or opportunities. Well, if you've been in the car wash, you've had plenty of practice dealing with challenges and opportunities. And so you, the skill is not the car wash, it's your ability to deal with problems, challenges, and opportunities. Correct. So that's a different way of looking at it. So if you say to yourself, I've been really good at making decisions. I've been good at, at solving problems. I have a, a number of male friends who were in supervisory uh, positions, and they're great to have as friends. If I need something fixed, they're really good at figuring it out. Yeah. You know, it's it's a talent. It's a talent and y- you you may not recognize that that's not something that everybody does. In other words, your your ability to build a car wash that's successful and to make a wise decision about keeping it or selling it, that's based on your habits that's your asset your ability to make good decisions it right. has nothing to do with the business itself
2: so how would you translate this now we've kind of been focusing on car wash owners and money how would you translate this same concept into people who are managers i mean they might not be worried about you know selling or not selling but you know mm-hmm. their 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 level of success and as they become more successful how does that translate to somebody who's not necessarily as, you know, worried about it's a sudden money event?
1: Okay. So like I have a friend who was a supervisor of large building projects in, in New York city, like a he was, he was managing 200 people uh, in, in this situation. And somehow this guy is just, isn't phased by anything. You know, it's like when, when you learn, that problems are challenges, and there's no reason to get upset in the moment. The, and you don't have to worry about the paycheck. You can train yourself to be in this very kind of zen space where whatever's happening is fine. Mm-hmm. And, and you can make that decision no matter what you're doing, whether you're in business for yourself, whether you're working for someone else. Can I learn? to be satisfied and accepting and grateful, no matter what I'm doing. Because the secret to having a happy life is being able to create an internal environment that is consistent with satisfaction and happiness.
2: Right. And, and you were telling me earlier, I think before we started recording, you were telling me well, you know that's that that was your goal. So you you had a situ to tell about the situation with your vehicle that happened in the last week, and then what your goal was behind that, and and then how to translate that, you know, throughout somebody's entire life.
1: Okay, so I was at we have this f- fabulous dog park in Santa Fe with mile and a half long trails, and so we go on long walks every day. And I was coming back to my car, and it was suddenly clear to me that there was a glass all over the floor, uh the, the ground, and that someone had broken into my car. And I knew immediately that meant my purse was gone, and that meant everything in the purse plus my phone were gone. And I was amazed that I was able to look at the situation and understand what had happened, and go into problem-solving mode. What do I have to do next? So I got in the car with the broken window, drove home, it was a, it was five o'clock when I left the dog park, takes me 15 minutes to get home, and I knew the first thing I had to do was find out if the body shop that I had used for something else was still open, and they were, and I called them, and we made an agreement for them to order the window, and I knew that I had to go about, first of all, I tracked the phone and found that it was halfway to Albuquerque and oh went
0: goodness. through
1: the process of, of, of erasing the phone and then calling the credit card companies. The most difficult thing I had to do was change my business and personal bank account. I'll never carry checks again. I don't write that.
2: <laughs> I've done that before. I've,
1: I've done it. to carry them with me. But what amazed me and, and what I felt good about was that I was able to see this as something that happened, not something that was good or bad. It was just something that happened. And I had the choice to deal with it in whatever way I chose.
2: Now, yeah, that's such a great lesson for both owners and managers that we, we get to choose our response <laughs> And you went in with the, the intention of, I'm going to keep my peace of mind through this whole experience. Um, and, well, and
1: that's my general intention in my life. Yeah. In other words, one of the ways I learned this is that I had a lot of physical problems. And as I said, I'm very healthy now, but I had to learn to deal with what I had and to not compare myself to other people and not to want what they had. In other words, I had to learn how to become an emotionally healthy person because I wasn't that. I went to a lot of therapy and was on psychotropic drugs. And I mean, it wasn't a pretty story. Mm -hmm. And physically I had a lot of problems. So, and now I have very few and I'm a happy camper. And it was because I chose to learn how to be this. When the doctor told me that I would never be healthy, I was just a hypochondriac, I started studying physiology and microbiology and homeopathy and herbology. And I knew that the body is a machine. And if I can figure out how it works, then I can figure out how to fix it. Right. It took a long time because I realized that a lot of my illness was serving me because that's how I got all my attention. So I had to go through a whole lot of different processes, but at I'm in my late seventies and I'm healthier than most people I know who are 20 years younger than I am. That's great. And more energetic and I'm still running a business and, and I'm still talking.
2: You know? Still, going. still yes. going strong. So yeah. who, who would your ideal client be? So if somebody wanted to engage with you, what, what would be an ideal client?
1: My ideal client are people who have reached a level of success and have said, I'm a success. Now what? Where they still feel that the, the entrepreneurs who I work with have, they don't have problems making money. The problem is I still feel that there's not enough. That's the main, one of the main pain points that my clients have. And it's about what do I do next and how do I you know, all the questions you've been asking. How do I find my next thing? How do I become who I want to become? And how do I discover who I want to
2: become? That's great. And then, if people want to contact you, what's the best way to get a hold of you?
1: You can either go to Prosperity Place. If you want to make a, a time to, call, to talk to me, you can go to prosperityplace.call or you can text the word Joan, no caps, J O A N, to Three one nine nine six.
2: Perfect. Good. So there's two ways to get a hold of you. That's great, Joan. This has been really helpful. I appreciate that. It's a lot different than our normal podcast, but you know, this is dealing with a lot of personal issues that people go through. And at the end of the day, if we're going to be in business, you know, we want to be happy, content, and so, you know, and feel satisfied with what we're doing. So I think it's a great subject. And I really appreciate your time and sharing your information with us.
1: Well, this has been a pleasure. I really appreciate being able
2: to share this. Okay, thanks, Joan. I appreciate it. So that's it for this episode of the How of Car Washing. If you would like to leave a comment on iTunes and Stitcher, we'd love to hear from you. Or you can go to our website at thehowofcarwashing.com and leave a comment. If you got ideas for future episodes, please let us know as well. And this is your host, David Begin. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time on the How of Car Washing. Thank
1: you for listening to the How of Car Washing. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofcarwashing.com and leave us a comment if you have a topic you would like discussed. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to having you next time on The How of Car Washing.